Welcome to Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com and Tiger Minor Report. I'm Rahelo Castillo alongside me is Chris Brown. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, all that jazz. You know where to find all the listen podcasts. And the end of the season is here, but I before we get to everything else, today we're going to be mainly focusing on non-baseball stuff. So Halloween's on Saturday. So whether you celebrate Halloween or you're a Jehovah Witness and you think all holidays are insane, that's entirely up to you. But uh, there's plenty else to talk about. Is, wait, is that the official Jehovah's Witness platform that all holidays are insane? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to my, according to my amateur point of view, and also I know yeah. a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses who have told me that, quote, Halloween is the devil's holiday. So, Well, I mean, I can see that, I suppose, but yeah. That's another place not too far from. I just feel like like that that might be a bit much for like President's Day, but <laughs> although it maybe it is insane to celebrate presidents, but yeah. But uh, at any rate, so we're gonna go World Series heavy, but the, the the breaking news is the content gods have provided us all, and we'll get to that in just a second. But our guest, longtime friend of the show, and one of our uh, favorite people that are that's not baseball related, and he hosts a movie podcast and does all this sorts of great movie related stuff Harry. hi everybody good yeah, to have welcome you. back yeah i think been, it's the first time in about a year yeah i don't know if it's we been, talked it, after i did did we talk at oscar time i don't yes, think we, we did we talked did, well, around right, oscar no. time but maybe we i didn't. forget everything i don't, I don't know we no, you're, you're, we, you know you probably did we're in, a, we're in a place where three months feels like a year so you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's all fine well, yeah. I think because yeah, uh, Rahelio and I were doing that for a little while there, we were watching a movie every week and, and kind of discussing it. And so we probably talked to you around then because we saw we watched Sugar and we watched Bang the Drum Slowly. And that's right, we did talk about that. I remember yeah. talking about those. Okay, yeah, I mean, it does feel like a year ago, but that was probably around January, <laughs> February. So <laughs> indeed, but good to have you back. <laughs> Pleasure to be back as always, guys. And I, I, I missed right. it. I missed. It was weird for me this year. I, I watched no baseball at all. I don't think I watched an inning, and it just felt like, well, even if they pull off the season, this this isn't real. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. yeah I, I I felt bad about that, but I could never shake it. I'm like, I watched the Dodgers celebrate, and I'm like, okay, I guess, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kinda. <laughs> Yeah, sports. I, I kind of felt that way about sports in general this year. Like, I, I didn't watch. I don't think I watched a second of the NBA Finals. Um, I've actually, I actually, I didn't watch any college football until the Big Ten came back for some reason. So I guess I'm just a Big Ten fan. Uh, didn't watch any of the NHL Finals. Yeah, and baseball. You know, I watch baseball because I like baseball. But uh, yeah, it's just a very strange year, and nothing seems real. So I, I don't blame anybody. I didn't watch all of the world series. I watched a couple of the games and, and caught some highlights. So I don't blame anybody for kind of checking out this year. Yeah. And, and not to mention too, with, with the world series now officially seasons over, I, I've 
I'll, honestly, the last couple of weeks of watching the well, as much baseball we've watched, I mean, I'm going back to the beginning of December when I was watching Dominican Dominican stuff, the, the winter leagues, and then even to the point where I was watching a lot of stuff that was going on in the Constellation Energy League. World Series was like the World Series was holding my attention because there were some really good games. Of course, you know we can talk about the Blake Snell poop move and all that stuff, but well, you know what? I think we're gonna save that for another time because honestly, I wanted to do a show a little different than what we normally do. But the content gods, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, <laughs> gave us a blessing as today, <laughs> um, as we were just about to record. And then Chris and I were just doing some pregame talking and then our phones went off. And I told Chris that the White Sox hired their next manager, which was an old face. And it was somewhat comical. And to me, Chris, the line, you, this line says it all. You crazy son of a bitch, you did. <laughs> you know, I, so... Yes. I mean, Bob Nightingale first came out with a story. It was what I don't know, two weeks ago, the White Sox surprised everybody by firing Rick Renteria, who was, you know, had been their manager for the last three seasons. And the White Sox were one of the best teams in the American League this year. They kind of stumbled down the stretch, but everybody assumed like, all right, he's going to be in this for the long haul, guiding this young team uh, to the playoffs. And then they fired him. And the only story that kind of came out after that, uh, who was it? Ken Rosenthal suggested that some veterans on the team thought that Renteria wasn't uh, didn't discipline players enough or something like that. You know, didn't hold younger players into account. And and then the Bob Nightingale story came out that the White Sox might hire Tony La Russa. Uh, and everybody, you know, it's Bob Nightingale, so everybody thought it was fake because he's been wrong <laughs> a lot of times on on big stories. Uh, but yeah, sure enough, World Series is over uh, for what twelve hours a day. And they go and hire Tony Russa, who is 76, I think. Hasn't managed since 2011. Does that sound right? That is correct, yeah. He's the the third oldest manager ever behind uh, Jack McKeon. Came back with uh, the Marlins in the mid-2000s, I think, when he was 80. And Connie Mack was like 87. Yeah. (laughs) Connie Mack, they literally had to pry him off his cold, dead hands. like Yeah, Yeah, Charlton Heston style. So, yeah, this is this is very strange. We talked about it before, you know, the makeup of the White Sox roster. They've got uh, how many good young Cuban players? Um, uh, let, me, let me look at the official the official White Sox roster here and, and, and look, let's get official. You've got uh, Tim Anderson, who's their best hitter. And, and then you bring in this kind of old stodgy white dude who mm-hmm. Who, uh, yeah, has had some issues in the past. I think he was very outspoken uh, about Colin Kaepernick a few years back. It, it it feels very out of tune with what's going on in sports these days. So the White Sox roster consists of the following: they have, they have, let's see, they have five Dominican. I'm sorry, let's see here: one, two, three, wait, wait, two, three. Four, five, six, almost ten Dominican Republican players. You, uh, you have one, two, three, four. You have four Cubans on the roster, and Robert, uh, Makata, Jimenez, Randall, and Abreu. So yeah, and then yeah, yeah. so yeah, you have a pretty diverse roster, and also Luis Gonzalez counts as your um, 
he's in, he's um, Mexican. So there you go. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I don't mean to suggest that a white guy can't manage, uh, you know, a diverse roster. They've been doing it for hundreds of years or at least, you know, dozens of years. But it, it, like I said, it just seems out of out of touch with what's going on in, in sports right now. Um, but we know that uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, who is what the I don't know, he's the owner or the president or something there, uh, is friends with Larusa. They hired him what forty years ago, and um, and it, it kind of makes sense that maybe Larusa came to him and said, "Hey, I'd like to manage again," and, and that's why Renteria got fired, which is kind of wild. I, I would think there, I don't know if there's that's the sort of thing that can be investigated. But, but uh, yeah, it just seems kind of nuts to me. Oh, man. And Brandon Davis, by the way, with the tweet goes, hey, remember how they always had the feeling the White Sox would screw this up somehow? And this goes back three years that he's been on the podcast that you yeah. and him have joked about the White Sox will somehow with their roster, with their trades, will always screw this up. And they did. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it sure seems like a screw up. I One thing I want to say. And, and there, there's an angle of this that uh, certainly benefits the Tigers, or at least uh, what people want is is that was presumably AJ Hinch's landing spot. Uh, the White Sox were at least uh, that was the most attractive job out there, and everybody's assuming that the Red Sox are just going to rehire Alex. Although who knows, maybe with Hinch available. But so now the Tigers' job is the only other job available, I think. So if Hinch wants to manage again, uh, it's Tigers or bust. So I, I don't know. That would be very interesting, but. I just want to say, you know, the other day I wrote a story about how managers don't matter. It was kind of a, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast forever that like, I just, I think managers get a lot more, a lot more blame than they deserve. Uh, and, and I think managers do matter to some degree, but not nearly as much as we think. And, and it's really hard to tell. But one of the uh, articles that I linked to in there did find that Tony LaRusso was one of like six managers who whose teams consistently outperform their expectations so that they, you kind of go, well, it must be La Russa. Like, you know, his teams were three to five wins better every year than they were expected to be. Uh, but the, part of the problem is that most managers don't get long enough to prove that that's true. You kind of have to manage at least a thousand games <laughs> and most people are fired after three or four years. So the sample size is small, but uh, just to say that, I mean, La Russa is regarded as a good manager and he's got a, a long track record of success. It's just a very kind of out of left field hire. I'm still a little miffed by it, though, Chris. I mean, in terms of the relate, like him being out of the game so long, and I feel like this is his way to redeem himself after he got fired by Hawk Harrelson in 1986, perhaps. I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I know Jerry Reinsdorf has said that was one of his biggest regrets to let that happen. I mean, in the same token, he also fired David Dabrowski. So. Yeah. I don't know. It's the whole thing is strange. It is very puzzling indeed. But uh, but if it fails, boy, we'll have a good time laughing at the White Sox, won't we? And yeah, and then yeah, and then we can just continue to laugh at them and just. <laughs> I know. It just like I don't. You know, everybody's complaining about. We, we we said we'd kind of stay away about the World Series, but you know, everybody's complaining about the nerds ruining the World Series because they pulled out Snell, even though he was cruising. Uh, and, you know, conveniently neglecting to mention that Tampa Bay and their $35 payroll made it to the World Series because of the analytics and the Dodgers are post, like the most uh, one of the two or three most analytically inclined teams in baseball. But, uh, you know, I, I just feel like. Uh, Sorry, what, what was that? <laughs> that was Homer Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it just uh, doesn't seem like, and, and not that everybody has to embrace that so much, but it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that Tony LaRusso is going to buy into. And I don't really know if the White Sox are really gone heavy in that way anyway. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's just, it's just a, a real hard zag when a lot of teams are zigging. Yeah, and it just seems also at the same time it's it's it's, it's letting, not letting go of the past, letting go of the past. It's and I I don't understand what Tony Larusa was he just bored at home and I, I don't know. Just anyway, once he go, got well, he got Harold Baines into the World Series or the Hall of Fame, so he had nothing <sighs> left to do. Yeah, <laughs> and his defense of Harold Baines was so old manish. That's what I decided to do. I'm paraphrasing, but. The way he yes, went up, uh, Perry. Do you know what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ra. No, no, you're good. You're good. I said, Perry. Are you no, I haven't heard this. What, uh, well, yeah. So I mean, I, I, was... I understand Harold Baines. I, I I understand the history of Harold Baines and the uh, and the uh, and the Hall of Fame. I just didn't know that Larusa had a hands-on uh, part in it. Yeah, I believe he was one of the key. I mean, he's a highly influential uh, person in baseball, and he was one of the key members of what it was at the Veterans Committee or whatever they called it. Correct. Yep. And his defense of putting Harold Baines in the, the Hall of Fame was that he had a lot of game-winning RBIs. <laughs> well, there, there it is that. not the Hall of Good or the Hall of Great. It is the Hall of Fame. So, Yes. Um, but in any event, like, I, I always hate that because it feels like I'm being mean to Harold Baines. But he's a good player, just not like he's like a, Torrey Hunter was a good player. Well, you can you can be satisfied knowing this, Chris. Even Harold Baines was caught off guard that he was going to the yeah, hall. He's, uh, he's just out gardening <laughs> or whatever. Like, what? All right. You know what? He was laying down a set. It was you know, his favorite prize rose bush because they was trying to go to the Hall of Fame for that. And then that's what happened. He got a call and he's like, oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. So, yep. anyway. So, yeah, Halloween's upon us. And... This whole year feels like Halloween. If you're, uh, if you're a big fan of ministry, before they went all heavy metal or heavy, that's an old ministry song from the 80s. So if anybody that gets that reference, kudos to you. But uh, I wanted to bring Al up. Al Jorgensen? Yeah, Al Jorgensen, the, the, the Cuban-American who is, oh, if you get a chance to read his bio book, it's pretty uh, pretty entertaining stuff. Yeah, I've, I've always heard that was crazy. But, yeah, there's, especially, there's a part of the book where he talks about Stealing heroin from Courtney, um, Courtney Love. So that's an interesting part of the book. But anyway, <laughs> so <hasn't>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, they, we want to bring in Perry because Perry's love movies, and I know that you were talking beforehand that horror movies and serial movies are not your exact genre. But in this time of year, you see every single channel now, like Christmas, like Clockwork, October begins. It's a now a whole month instead of a whole week. Absolutely. So, in terms of evolution of, in terms of understanding the history of horror movies and kind of like the you talk about poltergeist to the Exorcist and into what it is now, though I do have a question before we get to a list of our favorite movies. Have you seen a kind of an angle of now? It's just kind of like a these movies are not really scary. They're just you see all the or actually all the good parts in the trailer because it, it seems like to me now. Scary movies are just not – they're either really gory or their plot's really stupid. <laughs> or, or both. Or both. Those two yeah. things go together quite a lot. Don't worry about it. Um, it's, 
so it's a, you know, it, I feel weird being put in a position to explain this because there are people I know who would be much more articulate and much more knowledgeable deep throughout the history of the genre to talk about this. But I do feel like it's a genre that gets of, of all of the genres, you know, we think of like, you know, oh, war films, comedies, gangster films, whatever you want to think of as a genre. It's the one that's hijacked by a particular kind of movie. It's the subgenre of, you know, the splatter film that I, has still seems to me to just hang over the entire genre for going on 40 years now. And that it, it's that, you know, and we think of it as that classic way, you know, it is the, as one great critic wrote, it's, it's, it's porn. It is a buildup to a big scene of something splatting. And then we go on to more plots with characters we don't care about. And we're just waiting for the next kill. And that is, that is a subgenre of horror films. It is not, you know, it is not everything that horror is. Um, and everything that horror can be. And you get these weird things that pop up over the last, you know, I remember when J horror was everything 20 years ago, you know, the remake, you know, you had the American remakes of the Japanese horror films with, the, with ring. the ring. Yeah. And, and, uh, the body. You know, those, those never, yes. Yeah. Dark water. Those yep. never did anything for me. Uh, but you know, neither, neither do the, neither do the splatter films. But even then, you know, even during all that, you've got you've got some you had some really good, really top quality horror films in the last few years. And so it's it's a very durable genre. It's been around since the beginning of movies. <laughs> you know, Not for that too. there are there are. Yeah, there are classic silent horror films. And so, you know, it's, it's it ain't going away. And this is the month we all like to celebrate it. Yeah. But it seems to me that horror films are the most easily. Uh, and frequently just uh, serialized or I don't know what, what to say. Like, Oh, that was good. Let's make 40 billion more. And, and, and it's just like easy money. Like uh, how many final sure. destinations have there been? Uh, there's been like 13 Halloweens and, you know, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. They're all, there were, well, how many screams are there now? There's just so many of them. There, there's another one coming. Oh God. Yeah. It, it's just, people will go, I, I don't know. It, it's a easy way to make money, but yeah, I, I feel like, a lot of them don't really do a whole lot for me, but uh, I don't know. We can get into that in a little bit more. Yeah, and the thing is, with I grew up watching a lot of Friday. I've watched every single original Friday the Thirteenth, and those kind of ad slasher flicks. Jason taking takes Manhattan, which is one of the weirdest, <laughs> funny, but at the same time funny. <laughs> What's the one where uh, somebody wants to make sure that Jason is dead, so they dig up his grave and leave the shovel there, and it get struck by lightning and he comes back to life. Oh, that's, I think that's five or six. And that, that's the one where there's um, a guy, the guy from welcome back, Cotter. Um, what's it? The guy with the, with the, the bad voice. Um, I'm oh. look that, um, Mr. It's not Mr. Ron Pulio? Yeah. Ron, yeah. Ron Pulio. Yep. Thank you. He was last seen in the love. Horshack. Yeah. Horshack. Yeah. Thank you. Horshack. Yeah. Horshack was in that movie and he's in there for a second. And he gets killed pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so I hello think how are you <laughs> eviscerated remember, I remember seeing him in an episode of love boat where he had, was a sexaholic and he couldn't get enough and it was just thought that was the most oh, geez. yeah it was an episode from 1980 or 81 <laughs> or maybe it was earlier than that i don't remember anyway um but yeah that's i think it's five or six for us and that was one of the dumbest things too he's like i have to make sure he's dead and Ron Paul, the horse shack was like, come on, man. He, no, he's dead. He's like, no, 
He was obsessed with it. It was really weird. Or I think it's one of the remakes where he eats his heart. He's possessed to eat Jason's heart. Yeah. And I think that's Richard Roundtree from um, 21 Jump Street. Not Richard Roundtree, but the, the sheriff or the, the sheriff is the guy from uh, 21 Jump Street. The he, I forgot the guy's name. Anyway, there's obscure, like, you know, Kevin Bacon was in the first one. He dies with an arrow through his throat. And then the rest of the actresses are kind of unforgettable or forgettable, if you will. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like, you know, a lot of times there, there's like a, 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 at least a seed of a decent idea with the first horror movie. And then, uh, yeah, they just milk it for way too long. Well, I'm intrigued with what's going to happen with A Quiet Place. I mean, that's one of that's maybe yep. the best horror film the last five years. And A Quiet Place 2 is ready to go. It's one of the first films scrap you know it's theatrically because of covid and i'm real curious if it's exactly that are they going to be able to are they really going to be able to pull that off again or is this just a quick money grab by john krasinski yeah. well and, and i know that uh what, what's the there's one that people are two movies that people really liked over the last uh that fans really liked over the last couple of years but i know that you disliked them a great deal and it was it's that midsummer movie and the one before that Yes, Ari Aster. Yes, the writer director Ari Aster. Yes, Hereditary is the one before that. Yeah, I, yeah, I've I not hate seen both either of those of movies a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, I haven't seen either of them, but I, I tend to trust your opinion, so I, well, I haven't even sought them out really. <laughs> yes, he's that rare. He's that rare horror director who everybody likes because they think he's saying something, and if you bother to look deeper, he ain't saying nothing. <laughs> so. <laughs> I am, I am, I am, uh, you know, I went to see her, I went to see Midsommar just to make sure I wasn't wrong that Hereditary was a complete piece of crap, and I was not. And I will say this, Midsommar's a better movie. It's, mm. it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's got real problems. He really doesn't care about his audience, or nor can he tell a story, but he knows how to put the camera in, uh, in interesting places and make weird things happen on screen, and that will get you far in this genre. Well, and I think that's one of my main complaints about horror movies is it's basically since I was a little kid and understood that scary things, you know, what scary things actually exist. Uh, movies don't really scare me. I, um, I'm just I'm not I don't know. I like it's the one time where I can't really like suspend disbelief and watch a movie and just enjoy it. I just go, well, I know what they're going to do here. They're going to try to scare me with the same thing that they always do. There's only so much you can do. You can, <laughs> it's noise or sudden, uh, sudden thing popping up on the screen for the most part. It's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm the opposite but, because, I mean, I'll give you an example. I think I've talked about this before with you. John Carpenter's The Thing from 1988. Mm-hmm. I cannot watch that movie. To this day, no. to this day, Perry, I don't think you know this about this, about me, but to this day, Perry, if I even see it on the TV or even know that the plot's going to happen, I will have a nightmare. I'm 39 years old. You're gone. I'm gone. <laughs> curious, that movie, <laughs> watch that movie. My older brother, you know, my older brother just celebrated his birthday, and he it was big in the horror genre. He had all the magazines. He had, like, the Frank Gore, I believe, this magazine. He had it all. And he subjected mm-hmm. my to horror movies. And my younger brother took to it. I, on the other hand, when I watched the thing... I had a nightlight on for three months. I was seven, six years, seven years old. I had a nightlight on for three months. My brother would also put like the Freddy claw on that he made and like trash up the like the door a little bit and go, hey, look who was here last night. 
I'm six, five or six years old. We all shared a room. My two brothers and I shared a room. But to this day, that and zombie movies, I can't do zombie movies. I can't. It, it, it could be even comical like uh, Zombieland is, and I can't do it. It's just, it, it, I can't just, dis- my, my imagination's like, no, dude, you're not sleeping. Guess what? You're also going to have a fear of, of, of eventually, that's why I wear socks. Because watching the invasion of the bison, <laughs> why I wear socks no matter what. Yeah. I watched the invasion of the body snatchers. There's a scene where the woman's driving a car and she drives the car off the road because the snatchers are taken from her feet and she's wearing no socks. So in my young mind, I thought that having socks on would protect me from the invasion of the body snatchers. And for whatever reason, it's almost a subconscious thing that if I have my socks on, I'll be fine. Don't ask me why. Yeah. No, it's reasonable. It's, there it's, there it's, are far weirder things that people have put into their lives. It's <laughs> on movies. That's, that's it. If it makes you feel better, that's good. that works. Yeah. I mean, in the, every version of every version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers is good. Yeah. I mean, that I was, love all three of them. Was it Donald I don't Sutherland? think I've seen any of them. Was Donald Sutherland the one, first one? Or, yeah. Or, that's the second one, actually. Yeah, that's the second one. That's, that's right. the second one. Yeah. Yeah. I like all three. The, the one nobody knows is the Abel Ferrer version from the 90s with uh, Gabriel Anwar. Who you know she belongs on the sex list. She almost happened, but it just didn't happen. Uh, and I really liked I really like that movie because it takes this. You know, the premise is the same. The aliens are taking you over, and you can't tell who's an alien and who isn't. Uh, and you know, the fear is that everybody will act rigidly and exactly the same. And if you put that and you set it on a military base, it's all the more frightening. I think it's a really smart movie. I really like it. I don't remember this. It sounds familiar. I don't know if it's why release, but on to our favorite scary movies or slash war movies. And I will say this: I will, the M Night Shyamalan suspense or whatever you want to call it, scary movies. The Sixth Sense to me is the most overrated movie when it comes to that genre of all time. Because <laughs> the entire time I remember watching it, theater, I'm like, "Isn't he dead?" And there was a little twist. I'm like, "Oh!" And I didn't say it out loud, but I'm like, the entire time, I'm not trying to sound like I'm a nobody or a know-it-all, but I thought. Yeah, Bruce Willis is dead. You got to pick up on <laughs> anybody miss anything? Anybody <laughs> or I don't know. Um, what's that? Their uncle or Scrooge? I mean, come on. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, Scrooge. Scrooge. But uh, anywho, uh, Chris, I'll let you give us five of your favorite horror slash scary movies. All right. And I I may have a couple in common with, uh, with you guys or not. Um, like I said, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff that I just don't find particularly scary. Uh, the, the only I've got kind of this strange thing that actually scares me or did scare me when I was younger. Um, I guess the only thing that bothers me now is kind of realistic depictions of mental illness, like in, in like the scary mental illness, not like the uh, Silver Linings playbook mental illness. Um, <laughs> not the feel good mental illness. Yeah, the feel good mental illness. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But so, but but just in general, I, I find The Shining is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, it doesn't. I, I don't know if it necessarily scares me. I just think it's just a great movie, <laughs> and and it's got so many iconic scenes and, and objectively kind of spooky stuff going on and weird things. And I, I know it doesn't really. I don't know if it 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 kind of leans more into the supernatural than the book, probably. Um. But uh, it's still dealing with mental illness a little bit. And I just find that movie uh, really damn good. 
and uh, sort of along the, the same lines, um, although when I saw it, it felt a little campier to me, was uh, Rosemary's Baby, which I just, uh, you know, anytime you're dealing with like the devil and stuff, I just found that stuff cool when I was younger. I'm like, yeah, all right, let's get the devil involved. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, you know, a legit like scary movie about like a mom, like, oh, no, my baby's being taken over by like, I don't know, just there's stuff about that that I think is kind of universally scary. But mostly what bothers me in this, this I, I went through a phase when I was like 10 to 12, maybe, where I would get these awful night terrors um, a lot. And basically the worst part about them was that I would wake up and be absolutely terrified and not know why. Uh, and I eventually started yeah. having these nightmares where uh, I like I can't really describe them very well other than I was just kind of floating in a, this blank void, this dark void floating along. And there would just be a voice casually telling me that I was dead, like very matter of fact. And that sort of stuff has scared me, <laughs> like matter of fact things scare me. So like I remember in Terminator 2 uh, <laughs> when, uh, you know, what's his name, calls his, his foster parents and, and – the Terminator, you know, impersonates his voice and then says, your foster parents are dead. That scared the hell out of me for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like 10 when I saw it. And, and that was like, I don't know what it did about it, but uh, that would do it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I want to see. I've got I've got two movies that I've listed, I guess. The other movies that that they just have moments that kind of scared me a little bit. One um, one that I was thinking of uh, was Take Shelter which I, I Perry oh, recommended yeah. to me many years ago. And again, this is like dealing with mental illness. And there's just, there's some scenes in there with, I think when he's dealing with his mom or when, when things just like the world around uh, the main character, Michael Shannon seems to be doing things that it shouldn't be doing. And it just, it, it's unnerving to me in a way because it's, it's played like realistically, like a, like a guy who's just might be losing his mind, uh, which I dug. Yeah. Um, and and similar, like, uh, I don't know, this is kind of more like the Terminator 2 thing with, like, uh, in the movie Donnie Darko, which is, is just kind of, uh, speaking of movies where somebody's trying to say something and it turns out they're not really. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. The entire uh, career of Richard Kelly? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I still I still like Donnie Darko as a movie, but, like, everything after that was like, what? <laughs> um, but there's a, there's a scene uh, in that where Jake Gyllenhaal is, is kind of under hypnosis, I think, at his psychiatrist. And it's kind of it starts off kind of funny. He's talking about how they didn't, you know, his parents didn't give him what he wanted for Christmas. And then and then uh, but then he kind of snaps awake and he says, I could see him right now. Like he's standing right behind you or something like that. And then you see this this creepy bunny and it's just like a jarring out of nowhere, scary thing. The first time I saw it, I'm like, ah, get that buddy out of there. Um, but again, it's not like a horror movie. It was just something that, that it stuck with me. Um, and I guess like the last one. I can go to, and this is again, you know, a lot of this has been informed uh, by you, Perry, but, but Zodiac, the movie Zodiac, uh, which mm. is great mm-hmm. um, for many reasons, but it has one of, one of the scariest scenes in a movie that I've seen in the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years. And it really isn't entirely necessary for the plot. It's just there because it's scary and good. <laughs> and it's when, uh, again, Jake Gyllenhaal, I guess he's my favorite horror actor. Um, you know, he goes down Reasonable. into the goes goes down into the basement of Roger Rabbit and Charles uh, Fleischer. Yeah, there you go, Charles. Yes, uh, and I don't know. I, I guess it, it's hard for me to describe. I, I certainly couldn't describe it as well as it's done in the movie, where it's just this incredibly suspenseful, spooky, 
Like it's the one scene in that movie that that feels like a conventional horror movie, but it's again it's kind of played up for realism and, and I don't know. Uh, the scariest scene for me in that movie is still the second murder that we see the couple by the lake. Ah, uh, yeah, the, okay. That that still. I mean, I I rewatched the film this year, and that scene is still really, really, really disturbing. For again, yeah. for you saying for how matter of factly the killer just appears. He doesn't score it. There's no music underneath it. It just feels like, oh, this could happen. And that's yeah. I, I think sometimes the scariest stuff is is the most, I don't know, most realistic, uh, where like things just seem to happen for no reason. You can't get away with that in movies very often because people are like, what the hell? Like you can't. Yep. I, I don't know. Like in some movies do it, but like you could have just a main character who was hanging out for like 15 minutes and then suddenly he's randomly shot in the head or something like, like well, what? What happened? That doesn't work for me, but that's like scary to me. That's that's something that would would scare me. But uh, I don't know. There are a couple other movies um, that are just kind of tr- tr- traditional horror movies that I enjoyed seeing, even though they're very kind of silly. Like, and I think uh, Laura Linney is in both of them. Laura Linney, I, 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 your I favorite horror Mothman. actress. Yes, I like the <laughs> Mothman. Your dream horror cast is Laura Linney and Jake Gyllenhaal. That makes yeah, sense. Let's, let's do it. it uh, yeah, the Mothman prophecies. I I just kind of enjoyed as being fun and different. Not necessarily super different, but like uh, you don't hear like get a lot of horror movies about um, what a cryptoids or whatever the the you know urban legends uh, other than what Le- Leprechaun or whatever. But um, and then uh, I I sort of enjoyed the exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, just again, this is kind of a like hey, this is kind of creepy and interesting. It's a court case movie basically, <laughs> but anyway, so that that's what I've got. All right. Black Sally Joe oh, all the way around. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, forgot, well, I forgot one thing. Sorry. Um, sorry. Uh, when, again, when I was younger, uh, we rented Pet Cemetery, And the scene in that that scared the hell out of me uh, involved a kid going up to the attic and seeing his great aunt or something like that who was basically a living ghoul because she had some sort of meningitis. And when I learned that that was a real oh. thing, I learned that was a real thing, and that was it for me. I was like, ha, ha, never again. I had nightmares all the time. I can get, I'm going to get meningitis. So there you go. You know, the one thing about that movie that I still think is, it, it's one of the Ramones best songs at cemetery. You know? <laughs> it was like one of their last hits too. But yeah, I mean, it's just weird to think that all they're singing is this, the, the title of the movie. It was actually a really good song. Well, and King King famously listened to the Ramones nonstop while writing it. They were the big inspiration really? for the entire book. Yes, I did not know was, that. That was the mood music he listened to. Yes, and so it was it was very much a purposeful thing to reach out for them to do the soundtrack. Well, it's awesome. All right. Oh, okay. So, oh, I see. It was. Uh, I'm I'm watching the clip now. You know, I, like I said, I hadn't seen it since uh, like 1989 or 1990. So it was Tasha Yar for one thing from Star Trek. Oh, really? Uh, she played the the mom, I guess, and it was when she was a younger sister and her older sister dying of meningitis. That's right. That's what, that's right, what that's... creeped me out. Oh, God, yeah. She's like, oh, ah, no way. Cut it out, Stephen. <laughs> oh, no, it reminds me. I uh, So here's a completely another. I'm sorry. I keep taking time. I um, I randomly watched Carrie for the first time ever the other night. Um. I showed it to Tess the other night for the first time. My, my, my 17 year old has gotten on a horror film kick. And so I'm trying to find things I think she will like. And yes, we watched the diploma carry. 
Yeah, and it, you know, I enjoyed. It. I you know, I it's kind of a pop culture thing, so I know about like the the scenes and stuff, but I'd never seen it, and I enjoyed it. But uh, this is just a completely something for me. And within like a three minute span, there at the prom, the musical score, I, I recognized two samples from rap songs that I love. <laughs> somebody somebody sampled that. Two different songs. I was like, I was like, whoa! And then a minute later, I'm like, hey! So, so that was just fun for me. There's, yeah, the one of them was called "Bucket of Blood." It was sampled by uh, one of my favorite rappers, uh, ASAP Rock. So, anyway, fantastic. Yeah, you know what? What are you gonna do? You you, you listen, you watch a 45 year old horror movie, and you hear rap songs. It's perfect. They, they are always new for a new generation. <laughs> yeah. All right. So without further ado, Perry, I'll let you or I'll let you be go ahead with your five and I'll, I'll finish it out. All right. So, of course, I can't limit to five. Right. I'm going to cheat. So <laughs> already, we've already I, I went with like a dozen. I talked about a, I talked about a quiet place and I've talked about invasion of body snatchers. So we won't we'll, we'll, we'll drop those and we'll look at some other things on this list I threw in front of me. Um, I will. This is OK. Well, let's talk about yeah, let's talk about when I was a kid, when I was little. The two sequences that I remember horrifying me from horror films that gave me nightmares, that genuinely disturbed me, not that either of these are great movies, although one is much better than the other. Um, there is a sequence in Halloween 2. I don't know how familiar either of you are with Halloween 2. But it mostly takes place in the hospital, right? Right. It takes place in a hospital. It's, the, it's, the, it's taking place right after the events of the first film. Michael Myers is running wild inside a hospital. And there is a sequence where this uh, teenage couple about to have sex in a therapeutic hot tub. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Michael turns up the heat to boiling levels inside the hot tub, <laughs> pops in, kills the girl, and just keeps dunking the guy's head in the water and pulling it back up. And every time he pulls up, more and more layers of skin are peeled back from his face. <laughs> this horrified me as a seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no, yes, that makes sense. That stuck with me forever. And the other one, which literally led to actual nightmares, where I just, I just dreamed it happening to me, is uh, an American werewolf in London. And it's not the scene where the change happens. It's that incredibly disturbing dream he has not long after he's bitten, where he's like at home with his family and everything's normal. And then these dudes in SS uniforms who have like giant skeletal faces and heads come in and slaughter his entire family and cut his throat. And that was all, again, it was that, like you were talking about, Chris, it's that, it's that this is utterly normal. And then something batshit crazy happened. Yeah. <laughs> and it it those those all stuck with me and burned into my brain. And it's so, so funny when you think of oh, where there you go. Saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand. It's just you think of through the streets of Soho in the rain. Yeah. It's funny when I think about that scene, I don't think about this song because the song's like what I think about the movie, you know, in, in some ways or form, but it's like yeah, the song's like a you know, pleasant pop song compared to that scene of the movie. <laughs> Go ahead. So that we'll we'll put those in the child division of 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 what scared Perry as a kid. Yeah. Um. You know what? I will. I will just. 
I will I will piggyback on Rosemary's Baby. Is it's one of my two favorite horror films. I think Rosemary's Baby is an absolute masterpiece because it is. It's about like we're saying. We want horror films to dig just a little deeper, and you know what? Films, even dramas, don't talk about just the sheer terror of being pregnant. Nobody mm. wants to talk about this. <laughs> Men don't want to hear it. <laughs> Women are afraid to talk about it. It's 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 just something we don't deal with. And Rosemary's Baby does it so artfully. I, I don't even think of it as, you know, I don't even think of it as a devil film. That's not, that's, that's the excuse, but that's not the reason. And it's why Rosemary's Baby is so much better to me than The Exorcist, which The Exorcist yeah. never scared me, even as a kid. And it took me, you know, it took me getting older to realize, oh, it's because I don't believe this can happen. You've given me no subtext to be scared about. I, I don't, I don't believe that that can happen. So nothing scares me, but I can imagine how terrifying it would be to be pregnant. <laughs> and that yeah. Rosemary's Baby just gets at that in the best possible ways. Um, let's see what else. I'm looking at my list. You know what? I just want to give a giant shout out to the entire career of David Cronenberg. Cronenberg, uh, you know, has changed. You know, he he was he's no longer considered just a horror guy. Uh, but oh, that's what he did for the first twenty years, and did it better than anybody during that time period. If you go back to his early Canadian films, Shivers is great. Um, the Brood is spectacular. It's on the Criterion Channel right now. If anybody wants to check it out, uh, and then he came to Hollywood and did The Dead Zone and The Fly, uh, which for my money are easily the best Stephen King adaptation ever. And easily the best remake of a classic horror film ever. I mean, the, his fly is even better than the 50s version by far. Um, so, yeah, you know, if you're not familiar with Cronenberg, with oh, go back. You're in for a treat. And if you want the most and if you really want to see him at his most disturbing, if not necessarily his most horrific, uh, check out a little film called Dead Ringers with Jeremy Irons as as twins, identical twin gynecologists. And it's um, it's one of the most disturbing things you will ever see. Um, it is it is terrifying in just it, without showing you anything. But, but it is it is one of the most disturbing things you'll ever put yourself through. And speaking, I never thought to recommend this to you, Chris, but knowing your your penchant for being horrified by mental illness, you should check out a mm. film he did called Spider with Ray Fine. Spider. It was the film he did just before mm. uh, uh, History of Violence. It is. Okay. It is truly that. It is a subjective first-person horror film. He is Ray Fiennes is mentally ill, and we experience the entire film as he experiences it. It's uh, it's not it's not great, but it's something, and it's something I think you would really enjoy. So yeah. Um, the one thing about the Fly, yeah. you talk about Cronenberg films. The Fly is still that's on my list, but that is a movie that Cronenberg, I think, somehow, some way made everything feel sticky for me after watching for a while. Like, um, yeah, it's just that movie right there. The terms of like the visual side of it all. And even like, it's just such a great plot too, but man, that the, the sequel is terrible, but, um, Gronberg did. <laughs> yeah. but, and he didn't direct the sequel just so we're clear. Yeah. <laughs> he bears no responsibility for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is was, a, yeah, that's a much of Cronenberg is viscous. And yes. that's definitely one of his most <laughs> viscous movies. Yeah. I don't think I've seen. I'm trying to think. I don't know if I've seen any Cronenberg movie. Um, I, I I've seen parts of Videodrome. I know that. And funnily enough, like when I first started dating my now wife, one of the movies she wanted to watch with me was Crash, his Crash, not the uh, oh. dumb Crash. 
Love Crash. But we did. We ended up not watching it. <laughs> I don't why. I don't remember why we didn't watch it, but we didn't. Probably so, best early in a relationship to not watch it. You want to? Yeah. You want to yeah. put some? You want to get some water into the bridge before well, you jump off that one? You know? Yeah. When I met Tara, though, she showed me like what what was we watched. Raise oh. the Red Lantern, and what is that one no, with Ewan me. McGregor? The uh, the book, the pillow book, the pillow, the book. pillow yeah. book, yeah, yeah, Peter Greenway, yes, yeah. Tara kept showing me these movies. I'm like, what the who who are you? These are, are like, like first date movies. movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, yeah. There's right. also a movie called The Lover, I think, that we watched, but yes, which, but anyway, that uh, yeah, and that was ten years ago. But yeah, Cronenberg. I want to check that out. That that definitely uh, Spider. I like it. And uh, let's see. I'll do. I want to do a shout out just to a couple of performances in horror films that I dearly love. Um, uh, one everybody has seen. You know, Psycho has its reputation for a reason. It deserves it. But Psycho is Psycho because of Tony Perkins. That mm-hmm. is such a good performance. If you go back and watch that again. How subtly he's how subtly he's playing everything throughout that movie is so good, and it's so much better than than Hitchcock deserved because <laughs> Hitchcock <laughs> just didn't care about that stuff. <laughs> and yeah. Perkins is outstanding in that movie, and it's the reason I can always go back to it. As uh, uh, you know, I I I have I don't want to say I have problems with it. I I love Psycho. It's great. It still has that weird. We're just going to explain everything to you at the end. We're just going to bring a guy you've never seen before and tell you everything. Um, but boy, his performance is so good. And I feel the same way about a uh, thriller from the late sixties called wait until dark with Alan Arkin as one of the scariest bad guys in any movie you will ever see. The movie is patentedly ridiculous at points and I don't care because I will watch Alan Arkin terrorize a blind woman for two hours and be utterly enthralled by how horrifying it is. <laughs> it's a great performance. By the way, uh, also, Dr. Hepburn. I was going to say, uh, Andrew, it is Andrew, Dr. Hepburn. in terms of baseball related, Fear Strikes Out, by the way, of uh, Jimmy Purcell. Have you seen that, Chris? Jimmy Purcell, absolutely. Chris, have you seen that? Uh, I don't think I have, no. I don't, don't think I, I have. Uh, you've seen that, though, Perry, you said it's, really, it's pretty good, though, right? The Fear Strikes Out? Yeah. Yeah, Fear Strikes Out is worth seeing. It's one of those cases where, you know, it's obvious the actor doesn't know how to play baseball, but it's really not mm-hmm. about baseball, so it's okay. Like, you, you let this go. <laughs> it's, it, it works. It's fine. It's fine. This is not William Bendix in the Babe Ruth story. It's fine. Well, I think it's supposed to watch over the offseason. Go ahead and continue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I will close out. Uh, well, I'll, oh, sorry, I'm going to cheat one more time. A real quick shout out to since we talked about Ari Aster, and I don't like to talk about Ari Aster, I want to bring up my favorite young horror filmmaker, and that's Robert Eggers, who has two films to his credit The Witch and The Lighthouse, and both are really worth seeing. I particularly love The Witch, I think it's a really strong horror movie. Um, very disturbing, very smartly written. Uh, he just writes wonderful dialogue. That's true for both films. Uh, check them out. Lighthouse, I know, is on Prime right now. And I'll end by talking about, as I often do, I've probably said it on this show, the last time I was scared in a movie theater, the last time I was genuinely scared in a movie theater was David Fincher's Seven. Not mm. Zodiac, it was Seven. I've heard, I've heard that seven is out. one of the most relentlessly disturbing movies I have ever seen. And boy, it is, it is, there is no, there's almost no film. I enjoy showing someone else for the first time more 
Oh. It's seven. I love to watch other people watch seven for the first time. Oh man. Yeah. So there I we can't go. Wait. I didn't even think about that. I want to show that to Harrison in uh, probably <laughs> seven years. But, yeah. okay. not, not tonight. Yes. Lighthouse, I I seen I want to see that too because I've been not to mention doesn't have William Dafoe in it, right? Is that right? It no. does, and Robert Pattinson, and yeah. and just the two of them basically. Yeah, yeah I've been, that, that. what were you gonna say, Chris? I'm sorry. Oh, nothing. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of uh, so the Isle of the Childhood tor- Terror, I did mention the thing, but I didn't mention the, the two scenes in there that forever changed me as a person. Um. The scene where the the guy's head turns into a spider and crawls off. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I did not for a long. That was that wasn't the scene that really. I mean, that scene put me on. I was like, holy, you know, holy crap. But I didn't go near dogs for any. And it was funny. Ironically enough, I have two. I've had two black dogs in my lifetime, two, and I did not go near dogs for a long time when I was a kid. But the scene also the that dog, but the scene where he puts his hand in his face it just does that weird thing his face gets disordered when they find out the the older guy was the the thing the last the final boss if you will for lack of better words um that really screwed me up too because i um and then the the invasion of the bystanders and there was one other scene too that i laughed and then i still for a while i avoided sleeping bags was and i can't remember what friday the 13th it was but there's a couple they're about to have sex of course you know, typical slasher movie, and this guy gets smoked, and the girl thinks it's a good idea to, I don't know, hide in a sleeping bag. So Jason literally just takes a sleeping bag and just, like, you see, like, you uh, dust out a rug, you know, just beats it against the tree, beats the girl in the sleeping bag in the tree, and you're laughing about it because it's so bad looking. I mean, it's just like, boosh, boosh, and like, you're laughing, but you know, you realize what's going on, but yeah, he just wailed the town on her, but, um, yeah, that. Then later, it was funny. I went a couple years later. I, my mom was my mom got a sleeping bag. So like I was twelve or thirteen, and oh, we were no. like, uh, I'm, "We're not going to use them camping." Mom's like, "Well, what was the point?" I'm like, it's a "Long story." So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, in, terms of, in terms of movies, this might be a little bit different because it, it still counts as like jo- in, the, in the genre. But um, I will say that. In terms of just kind of a suspenseful kind of thing, Carrie, the original Carrie was to me still st- stands out because it's the ultimate case of bullying, and it makes you kind of think a little bit about the whole. Just the, the, it kind of created that popular culture with high school people just getting out of control and how cool high school really it was. And I think also, correct me if I'm wrong, his future wife was in that movie too, the the Palmer's wife, the Nancy. Um, yeah, Nancy, Nancy Allen. Allen. Yeah, Nancy yeah, Allen. Yeah, Nancy, I was like, yes. hey, it's the girl from RoboCop. Yep, that's the same thing. And then she also, he was also in John, uh, the movie, the Creedence Collection. Blowout. Blowout. Perry, I, I saw that, I saw Blowout this year. I, mean, I think we talked about it before. We talked about it before, the last time we were on. That is one of his best, that's one of my favorite movies. That's that's becoming one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I love that movie. It's, it's a really good, it's a really good diploma movie. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would go also, the, the Exorcist, I know it sounds like, uh, but that movie, like in terms of, uh, in terms of like from like growing up as a Catholic, it kind of mm-hmm. hit a tone with it, set a tone with me like ooh. Um, so I would put that up there, and it's still some the sequels and all that stuff been terrible. It's not like again, none of the sequels for any of the horror movies are good. It seems like fact. Um, and then I also would put something recently, and that would be Get Out. 
because Get Out was one of those things where and Jordan Peele, like at, at first, when I first heard about the movie, I'm like, it seemed like I wasn't sure if it was over hype or not. But when I watched it, I sat down and watched it. Then you think about it. I watched it again. Some of the stuff kind of resonates with you in a certain way where you see her like the, the, the part where she's literally as she's combing through her next victims, eating a bowl of cereal, all casual about it. Uh, there was a certain kind of cavalierness to it. But then the, the, the idea of him just going the whole premise of it all, just better sight, like he's getting primed and everything. And then seeing the older lady going, you know, just cry like or when the um, she she breaks or the, the, it was the, the guy he's, he uh, talks to at the party. And he breaks character. Yeah. Like the- the yeah, camera. yeah, yeah, that camera thing. Yeah, that was that, that, that screwed me up. Even like the, his friend saved him from, uh, came, came and saved him. It's like that whole sequence was it was funny, but also made you think a little bit. But that that was to me that really freaked me out a little bit in terms of a, from a mental standpoint. And so my more surreal. And then, of course, the fly I mentioned the fly earlier The fly really, really screwed me up a little bit. But that was that was a good movie. I love I love Jeff Goldblum. Prime Goon Bloom. This is after <laughs> yeah. you know, Crazy Son of a Bitch, you did it. Yeah, Crazy Son of a Bitch, you did it. <laughs> and like that's of course the shining. I did watch Doctor Sleep earlier this year, and that was that was pretty bad too, or pretty scary. And then an honorable mention is The Wicker Man, which I finally watched uh earlier this oh, year. I love the Wicker Man. Love the Wicker Man. The, yeah, the original, not yeah. the cage that, one, right? The yeah, the bees. Right. Yeah, because yeah. Christopher Chris, an actual movie. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Lee does a good job as vampires and of course Count Dooku in Star Wars, but he's really good in this movie. He is really good. And the guy who they end up well, I'll spoil it for you because it came out in 73 and too bad that you haven't watched it, so it's not my fault. The guy who plays the sacrificial lamb, the cop, the rigid cop, um I I particularly liked his character a lot too because he was so rigid and would not bend, and then it was too little too late at that point, and they, they screwed him up. So the Equalizer. Yes. <gasps> but Robin nice. Hardy directed that movie, by the way. But uh, that's if you haven't had a chance to see that movie, I, I, I spoiled it for you. Again, too bad. IMDb. Exists. No. It does. <laughs> you can't spoil that movie. That movie is gonzo nuts in the best in, in such a British way. Yes. It, I mean, oh, nice. if, if it, so, there is there is literally a. It's got to go on for six, seven minutes. There's a sequence where Britt Eklund, and if you don't know who Britt Eklund is. Go Google Britt Eklund in 1973 right now. Is literally dancing naked in this weird sort of cultish seduction through a wall sequence. And it goes on and on and on to the point where you're like, this isn't even like, it's not titillating. Like it starts that way. You know Mm -hmm. that's the intention, but it's so long. It just becomes really deeply strange. (laughs) <laughs> and that's pretty much the whole movie. The whole movie feels like it's going to be this, you know, this you're, you're waiting for the shoe to drop and it never drops and it never drops and it never drops. And then it drops. <laughs> and it is, it is kind of unforgettable. I mean, the, check it out. it's a really in not to mention, I think the sequence too, where they're the whole leading up to the, to the hill my whole sequence was just something out of like a. It just seemed like a dream. It just felt like a really dreamy sequence, and I really like how he was trying to be uncover, and it, they kind of knew the entire time what was going on. And so, uh, they live technically counts as a scary horror movie, but the live is in a different <laughs> it's awesome. 
<laughs> the Roddy Piper? Yeah, the Roddy, Roddy Piper movie. Is that another John Carpenter movie? That is. It is. John, yeah. Yeah. It's such a good movie. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I'm overdue to watch that movie. And then, of course, I would put in uh, Christine, which feels my. It was one of the few movies I watched my dad because my dad found the whole premise com- or just stupid, like the a killer car. And then when he watched it, he sat down and then he was doing a lot of this, like what my dad would do, and something excited me, like, oh, he got all excited. And I've read a lot of Stephen King books, so I liked watching the books to movies to do a comparison. Uh, the new It was pretty scary too. I, I think that the the new book, the new movies, It, the new It rather, is more faithful to the book than whatever that was that comic that ABC bullcrap from nineteen ninety nine. There's so much you could do on uh, network TV. Yeah, and, and you know, rest in peace, John Ritter. Just rest in peace, Harry Anderson, who were both in that movie. But uh, come on, you know, it was. I, well, I think I've talked to you before about my my whole problem with it is that there's a second part. Like, I, yeah. like the first part is scary to me because it's kids. It, kids get scared, and kids are scared of things. When you're adults, I'm always just like, just move away and don't go back. You're an adult. You can, you you've got agency. You don't have to be involved in this at all. <laughs> and my problem with the with the newest it, and I have not seen part two because I loathe part one so much, is that it falls into that trap that so many. It's it's that. It's that attempt to sort of do Spielberg or to show how mm-hmm. horrible being a kid is by presenting something so incredibly horrible that were it to really happen, like the world would stop. Like no one would actually get away with this. Is, this is why I like the Carrie watched that line beautifully. Like what they do to her and Carrie is utterly ble- like that could happen. I mm-hmm. buy that. But the, the remake of it, the, the, the most recent version of it, part one, I'm out the second they are carving letters into the kid's stomach. I'm like, no, this would never have. No one would allow that to happen. You know what? The <laughs> kid would say something and those kids would be arrested. No, you're absolutely right, Perry. But I think the reason why it doesn't work now than it did in probably the 80s, well, they didn't even show it in the 80s, but in the book, it took place in 1955. To me, that makes is more. Yeah. That's more believable than putting it in the sequence now, because in the fifties, a lot of kids dealt like some kids were flat out cruel. Let's not kid ourselves here. So you're absolutely right. As a plot device now, no, it was stupid. If they if they flashed it back to the fifties to go, okay, I can believe that. I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that. Yeah. So that's I, I understand why they had to insert that part of it when it. No, you're right, and that's a great point. I mean, but in the book, it makes a lot more sense, and also. Part two, Chris, the reason why there's part two is because the book's over almost 975 pages or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I understand why they did it, but it just, it doesn't make, like, it's not scary to me when you're an adult and, and like, there's a haunted town, you can just leave. Like, that, <laughs> like, that's just a very simple solution to me. <laughs> leave and don't go back. Okay, this is, of course, the premise of Jaws 4, right, where yeah, Brody's yeah. wife needs to get away from the shark and so moves to Hawaii, not Utah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, or, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, what's that one Shyamalan movie, uh, where the aliens are allergic oh, to water, but they anyone. come to earth. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, you know, yeah. it, the water kills us, but what about that planet right there? <laughs> 90% water. Hmm. <laughs> Brilliant um, plan. But yeah, what thing, uh, I don't know if we're, we're done with the horror discussion basically, but, um, one thing I want to talk to you, Perry, before we, we leave is, uh, just the general state of the film industry right now 
Um, because I've had like, <laughs> well, like, like, like award shows and stuff. Like, what, what the hell is going to happen? Uh, well, the, the Oscars have officially been postponed for two months. They are pushing everything back two months. Eligibility will be through the end of February. Um, is that be as enough? of now, they are, as of now, they are sticking with the other rules that has to play in theaters. Mm. Um, no, I don't think it's going to be enough. I, I think that there's yeah. going to be, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I, it is weird to me to not have an awards season. Mm. <laughs> it is, it is very, I, I didn't realize how much of my body clock is <laughs> annual body clock is built on that. It's very, it's very strange to me that this would be the time when I would be just binging year end stuff and there's nothing to binge. And so mm. I don't know if that will happen at the end of, at the end of the year. My hunch is that uh, my hunch is that the Oscars don't happen. I, mm -hmm. I just don't understand why you, it just seems easiest to say no. And we're going to have two years worth of eligibility. That seems perfectly mm -hmm. reasonable to me. Assuming we are back in theaters, you know, next summer, you'd have more than enough time to do that. It would be a perfect way to get people back into theaters. If you suddenly had this, glut of two years worth of incredible, you know, incredible summer releases that everybody wanted to see and incredible Oscar contenders that everybody wanted to see. I find it, there was a story last week that blew me away in, I think it was Variety reported and they reported it as a rumor to be fair. Uh, but if Variety is reporting it as a rumor and other people are saying not approved, not saying no, you can probably believe it's true. Netflix offered MGM $600 million to stream new Bond film. To have it skip oh, theaters wow. and MGM turned them turned them down. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this was recently. Like this was mm -hmm. recently, not not at the time. So that's where we're at. We are it is this giant game of chicken for the studios of how long can they afford to just sit on money they've you know, films they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars to make and have them not bring anything back. Well let me let me ask you, you this. Um, in terms of even like what we're seeing with streaming right now, is that going to be something where Movie theaters eventually. I know movie theaters are. So didn't one didn't one go out of business? Why am I why am I thinking that one did went out of business or is in trouble? Um, I can't think of drawing a blank right now. Um, uh, yeah, I know that they're they're definitely well, they're definitely going to close the uh, the uh, uh, the Imagine in Canton, right? That one's yeah. going away. I think. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Sure. Yeah. Because to, to me, ultimately, I still prefer a movie theater experience, and it could be done socially distanced, which I don't – see, that's the thing that kind of pissed me off about the whole – the selecting of businesses that could be closed. Movies, to me, you can space them out just fine because half the movies, to, uh, on a, except on a, on a weeknight, seem like they're half empty. So you can have social distancing, and you can have clean procedures for that, and I'd rather go see a movie than stream it personally. That's just me. But yeah, I I would rather I, see movies in the theater, but I don't I, I don't really want to go anywhere that's enclosed. <laughs> I, I just don't trust. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go on a plane. I know they say that planes are supposedly really, you know, they're safe so far. But it's something about like I, I'm fine being out in public outside, like eating in a restaurant outside. But something about being in the theater doesn't uh, it just kind of scares me a little bit, I guess. Yeah, two hours breathing the same air as a bunch of strangers. I know. 
and I and I and I don't and we we can talk about how you know they can be social distance all they want. Guess what? Nobody enforces. It's going to take yeah. one person who doesn't shit to sit wherever the he wants, and it's going to be a he and sneeze and cough yeah. over whoever he wants. And then yeah. what are you going to do? There's there's no 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 eighteen year old kid's going to go in and tell him to stop. Excuse so, me, sir. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I picture the, the kid from Memphis. <laughs> I told this story a bunch of times that I, you know, at, at, at a there was a press screening for Good Night and Good Luck, the George Clooney film, mm-hmm. uh, and it was in Royal Oak. It was at the Main Art in Royal Oak. Okay, I don't expect a raucous, you know, ugly crowd at a preview screening in Royal Oak, but they were gonna they were bussing in like a local group from a senior citizen's home. And they were also bringing in a large group of like high school history students for this screening. All right. And they had cordoned off down front for the old people and off to the side for, uh, uh, or somewhere in the middle for the old people and off to the side for the kids. And they had one of the poor teenagers who just worked at the theater tell everybody who come in, who came in, they said, you know, this section is reserved for these people. Please sit anywhere else. And I watched, Half the people go, yeah, whatever, and go sit wherever they wanted. And then we had like a mm-hmm. 30 minute delay to start the movie because they had to make all those people move so that there was room for the old people to sit where they needed to get to sit. So, no, I have no faith in, <laughs> I have no faith in the American yeah. public making the movie going experience anything pleasant for quite some time. Now that you say it that That's way, right. now, I was going to say, now that you say it that way, it's like, oh, well, I mean, I even think about the, the reason why I didn't think about the air circulating factor is because I always think that. For whatever reason, I mean, maybe I'm just naive about movie theaters and how they circulate the air. But and I say that way, it's like, well, shit, easy. You, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's going to be one of those things where the more I think about it, the more people do not listen. I mean, it, it's the same thing with like cell phones. Like you tell them to turn off your phone, they're like, nah, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an asshole. Yeah. yeah. And, and not to mention, I, but I think it's equal opportunity period because I have witnessed a couple of women too who get really upset when they have to ask them to wear a mask. And they get all, and they've, they've I've gotten yelled at before, and oh uh, sure, yeah. So it it was a case in point a couple weeks a couple weekends ago, I literally went to, I went to Seven Eleven, getting something to drink, and the lady asked this woman kindly to please put her mask on. She's like, I don't have time for your BS. Don't tell me what to do, and, and she was looking for a conversation. But the lady at Seven Eleven played it cool. It was just like, look. You can either leave. I don't, you know, you, you don't want to, you, you want to make a ruckus and make a scene. That's on you. I'm not going to engage in it. So do yeah. what you got to yeah. do. And the lady just, and, and everybody in line looked at her like, come on. And the lady kind of sheepishly walked out and just put a and they ended up getting a mask on. No, I, I think some movie theaters are doing like private screenings or whatever, where you can get a whole party and, and watch, which, which I would probably be okay with. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I don't know. And it just, it, just to get back to like the Oscars, it just, I, I know I'm not the first one to make this observation, but there were only like six movies that came out this year. Like all I could think of, I'm sure there are more, but like Sonic the Hedgehog and The Invisible Man and that Christopher Nolan movie and that Pete Davidson movie <laughs> and the Andy Samberg movie. That didn't movie. play That's in it. theaters. The Pete, oh, the Pete yeah. Davidson film did not play in theaters. Did uh, Andy Samberg <laughs> movie? Did, uh, what was it, Palm Springs, Palm Beach? Uh, no, I don't believe that played in theaters. I think that's no, right go. to Apple Plus. So? <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. So yeah. it's between Sonic the Hedgehog and the Invisible Man. 
<laughs> the handicappers don't know what to think. And that's why. That's why they're gonna they're gonna let you know they're gonna let award stuff play till February. That's gonna be the sh- the break. The uh, February twenty eighth is the is the is the due date for being theaters to be eligible for the Oscars at this point. And I think that'll be pushed back again. I hope it's pushed back again. If things stay exactly as they are now, of course, we come up with a vaccine. Hey, that changes everything. And boy, that's gonna happen soon. Yeah. By the way, um, before we get out of here, I just wanted to mention a cool experience that you have today. That I was I was reached out by Statomatic. Um, oh. They asked me about the rating, defensive ratings, or ratings for Tiger players, and so that was an interesting experience I had. Nice, Stratomatic. Yeah, outstanding. Gave, nobody, I I gave nobody a, uh, just as a preview. I gave nobody above a seven, or I gave I'm sorry, eight or nine. I gave an eight into Candelario, but that was it. So mm-hmm. just realized. Yeah, well, let's see. Um, what does it go up to? Ten. Ten. One, All right. So yeah, Perry and I. Uh, Used to play Stratomatic there at lunch. We had. We uh, did. Yeah, and it was good fun playing. Uh, I remember we had. Uh, we had, I think we had a, a like a National League. We did the ALCS and the National League Championship Series, didn't we? Dodgers and I think Nationals. We, we did. It was, I, then, did we have, I think we were playing the 2012. I think 2012 was the season we had. Sounds about right. And then it's always good when you get the double play plus injury or whatever. Like, oh, yes, no. I remember there was a game. There was a game we played where I can't remember which of us was running the team, but uh, one of one of us hit into seven I- I- inning ending double plays <laughs> over the yeah. course of the game. It was tough. <laughs> it was and then of course we broke down and bought the. Uh, I sprung for the uh, the collection of Hall of Famers, the Stratomatic yeah, right. Hall of Fame collection I have, and so it'd be fun to play with like two other crap teams, but then let one of them have Babe Ruth, you know, to see what yeah. would happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he's walked intentionally walked. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I've, I've never, I never got a chance to play it. I played it, uh, excuse me, on a regular basis. I played it once. Thought it was fun, and then the guy or the, the guy who had it ended up moving away. So um, yeah. it was down the street for me. And this is when what was it? I think it's like eighty or ninety one, ninety two. So that, that was when I wow. so yeah, yeah. I, I never played it until Perry uh, bought it. It's a lot, many, many board games and sports things that I haven't played until Perry, including you know, uh, <laughs> what's that? Uh, what's that horror themed board game that we played? And I bought it. It's, it's very horrified? timely. This horrified. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good one. And it, and that, yeah. It, we've we've talked horror movies before. Or excuse me, horror movies. We talked uh, board games before with Jeff uh, Jeff Ellis from the yeah. uh, Indian or friend from the Indians. And next time, Perry, I think we should talk about that because we definitely we could have, uh, during the off season. Tiger, with free agency being probably more likely a dead cause for us, I think, and I mm-hmm. think we both agree with things being not spending money. We should definitely do a board game special because I think there's a lot of, you know, we'll ask the fans out there if they have any interest in board games, but I think yeah, that would sounds be good. I would love it. Yeah, especially when I would talk about the Godzilla one I, I, I just played again recently. That's a fun one. But. The Cones of Dunshire. <laughs> <laughs> Does it, did they actually make a board game out of that? I feel like they would do that just to do it. I, I, no, I think somebody at like Gamescom made a version of it, but I don't know if you could actually play it. Oh, okay. I'm shocked they didn't. It, it shows that it shows that someone who really cares is involved in the show. They were yeah. they were going to just <laughs> slap it onto something. Yeah. Well, uh, on that note, thank you for listening, to Tigers SRD here on SportsMediaDetroit.com and Tiger Minds Report. 
Thursday.com. So our next podcast will probably be recorded next Thursday or Friday. Of course, Chris Tigers the, might have a manager. Yes, Tigers might have a manager. So we'll have some breaking news about that. Uh, so again, we just want to give a little bit of break. I know everybody's all baseball out, but the off season just kicks in back up in full effect. So manager changes. So if there is a manager change, we'll be doing the show that night or the day after. So keep posted for that. Also, there's going to be some stuff coming out on prospects live listing tiger prospects soon as well. And, uh, much more. So again, Harry, thanks so much for stopping by. Is there anything you want to plug real quick before we get out of here? Oh, oh, check out my podcast. We're watching here. We're watching here with Chris Williams. We do a, uh, we're doing a new episode every other week. And yeah, if you want to dig around for Cathode Ray Mission, an excellent podcast, and you can hear me ramble on about some of my favorite directors. Awesome. Outstanding. All right. So on that note, then, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Very, very good. <laughs>